Welcome to Bootstrappers, a program designed to bring you up-to-the-minute ideas and concepts to understand what it takes to succeed in business and life. Each week, we'll bring you guests and ideas you can't find anywhere else. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. Now strap on those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Bootstrappers. I am your host, Gwen Aspen. I'm president of Anaquim LLC, and I'm here with uh, my co-host, Jeremy Jeremy Aspen. President Uh, of Wistar Group here in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. And if you are new to Bootstrappers, we are a show where we highlight entrepreneurs and ask them about tactics, stories, uh, tidbits, anything that helps other people who are in business, looking to start a business, just interested in business, failing uh, at business, <laughs> uh, just uh, interesting things that might help them be more successful. And we try to also get these topics to maybe, mm, I don't know how to say it, but apply them to our industry, which is investment property management. So with that, today's show is a little bit different because I'm actually going to be interviewing Jeremy. It turns uh, out that Jeremy both Gwen and today. I, and it turns out that Gwen and I are both entrepreneurs. We both run different companies. We work together um every single day we're married every single day and we raise our children every single day and <laughs> so that that brings up some issues but um uh this radio show like you mentioned earlier is designed to kind of pick at and learn a little bit more about um how entrepreneurs make it work and we have some information for you well and today's thing uh, today's topic really came from discussions that we were having about how we organize our time uh since we've been working in the same house together with our children here as well. Uh, This has become more of a topic than in the past because we're literally never ever away from each other. And, um, and so it's brought up some interesting conversations. So I'm going to pick Jeremy's brain about how he organizes his day and how he kind of frames projects communication with other employees and clients and uh, just get his unique perspective because I think it's unique. Uh, I've never seen anyone work like he does. I think, uh, and so, uh, but Jeremy, I, but before okay, <laughs> you want to say, you really want to say something, go. No, I was just going to say that anybody that's watching the show on our podcast <laughs> is probably wondering how it is that you pulled off marrying this guy. Uh, they are. I get that question (laughs) hourly, hourly. No, but uh, Jeremy, I think it's important for people to understand your very interesting career trajectory. And maybe you should start with the 12 colleges you went to. I don't remember. (laughs) I lose count. Was it 20? Was it 12? How many was it? Now now you're pushing it, Uh, though not very far. Uh, I, uh, I have in my life been accused of not being able to pay attention. Uh, (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. The nuns at St. James and uh, the priest at Ron Colley, they, uh, they knew uh, firsthand that I just couldn't uh, keep to a subject. It is, you know, my mind. And since then, actually in the recent past, I've been diagnosed with uh, ADD, which whatever, I think it's more of a personality type. I think most entrepreneurs have some sort of learning disability or attention deficit disorder. I didn't say I had an learning disability. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm coupling it all together. But I don't think that's unusual for an entrepreneur. So continue with your story. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So, um, so <laughs> and that included college when I uh Figured out that I wanted to go to college after working for three weeks. <laughs> I thought, yeah, this working thing kind of sucks. I'm going to go buy a little. Because you had no time. intention of going to college. I didn't really know. Ron Colley, um, I don't think was really, a, at least at the time, a preparatory school. Um, so it didn't prep a whole bunch of people to go. And uh, so I ended up really that summer just saying i'm not gonna work this hard for but the time was four dollars and or seven bucks an hour whatever it was um so i'm gonna go to school before i make seven dollars an hour and i bought time went to uh say i went to carney 
I went there a couple of years and then I went in Nebraska, went to Omaha, UNO. And then I went to, I also went to Bellevue. I went to university of Tennessee. I finally got my degree. I think you forgot no. Maryville. Oh, Maryville. Okay. Maryville. I got my degree in international business management. After how uh, many years? <laughs> I, don't <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody. Uh, and then, um, then I went on, I got part of my master's degree at uh, KU, uh, which was foreign affairs. So, so international has always been kind of my passion. I just loved it. So I, then you worked at, uh, you worked doing international supply chain for a long time. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, in our industry, there is a disproportionate number of people, or at least as a percentage of people that have been in supply chain. And we get together at conventions and really just talk about how supply chain works so well with kind of anything. It's kind of engineering in a way, but in making sure that there are systems, processes, procedures, policies, and because those large corporate companies, like one of my big clients was Ford Motor Company. If you had to move gaskets from Bilboa into Chi Bilboa, Spain into Chihuahua, Mexico, they had to get there uh, at not just the same day, the right day, generally speaking, it had to be there within a window of hours. Um, and the production time was three months. So, so, so you kind of had more of an idea that the way that you start a business, the foundation is processes and procedures. And I think the reason why you find so many people who own property management companies, which is our industry, or other uh, operational businesses, and they came from supply chain and logistics is because they had faith that they knew processes and procedures maybe better than others in the industry and had faith that it was more likely to succeed. Well, and I'll say this, the, the other managers that I work with or that we've worked with, I've run into in at conventions and stuff, were usually in that higher echelon of what well, by unit count or uh, success of the company because that's how we go about our business from the very beginning. Um, I, I think part of it is that ADD kicks in and I'm inherently lazy. Like I'm the hardest working <laughs> lazy person I've ever met. I, if I have to think about doing something a second time or a third time, um, or, and God forbid, it's something I have to do on a regular basis or every day, even every week, every month, I am way more inclined to automate it. And so is this group of mostly successful um, property managers. They we we kind of have that in common. So I actually think this is a super important point because you've basically found a way. So let's be honest about you. And you know, I adore you, but you forget things and you lose things. And uh, but you took your weakness and made it into your key strength. And a lot of us are parents. And I think it's really important when you have this really special kid that might have, you know, ADD or something that sometimes your biggest weakness can be your biggest strength later on. And that's kind of what you did. And it made you a, an entrepreneur and a successful one. Would you So agree? I'll bet you a, a lot of the <laughs> business owner, the listeners and viewers that we have, they are, they'll identify with this. Um, your wallet, especially the guys, I guess. But if I don't put my wallet in exactly the same place or one of maybe two different places on a regular basis, havoc ensues. And so anytime I go, you know, travel or go anywhere else other than my daily routine, holy crap, I just, I get this stress. I can't quite figure out where things are. I don't get the rhythm of my day back for, for weeks. Um, and that so, is just an example of kind of having that, that, the, the routine, the it's, it's a small version of procedures helping in a real way in just my personal life. But if you apply that to business by having those same exact routines for your staff, uh, you make it so that one, they know what they're supposed to do Two, They know what you can tell whether or not they are doing it and you can tell whether or not they're doing it well. So because people do struggle so much with process and procedure, your first recommendation is just think about it as creating a routine where just like in your regular, 
regular life. People can find exactly what they need when they need it. And the steps are clearly defined so they uh, can succeed. Is that basically what you're doing? Yeah, I think so. Good. Okay. So I think that's really important. But what I want to go into, and I don't know how much time we have right now, but uh, what I want to go into is the way that you organize your personal procedures, if you will, with email, instant message, and uh, uh, what what else is texting there? and texting messages. and all those things because you're very disciplined in a way that I'm not. You are not. Uh, I'm not um, about these kinds of they're really personal process procedure and habit. And it allows you to complete long-term projects quickly in a way that sometimes my long-term projects can just drag out because I'm more accessible. So can you talk about how you, about your boundaries essentially that allow you to finish projects in a timely fashion? So in supply chain, uh, it was a corporate environment. I mean, one of the companies I worked for was a $12, tr- $12 billion a company, tw- uh, no, $24 billion a year or Swiss franc company a year, uh, Nagel. And so it was corporate America. And one nice thing about corporate America is that they have procedures. So and all of them, almost all of them do. And what they all also have in common is that they're successful. And that is... Uh, that is causal having the processes and procedures. And this doesn't need to sound like we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that later. I'm talking, I want to really clarify. We're talking about personal boundaries so that you can finish a project. What email instant message, what are your rules about it? So um, it kind of like, especially with email is just talk about email because everybody that's listening can, can associate, you know, probably works with email. There's a couple of little tricks back from corporate America um, that I took away because they went through training. When you've got you know 20,000 20, employees, if any of them are um, wasting a minute a day, it turns out to be a pretty large expense to, to productivity. So email, what you there, there a couple of tricks. Um, you want to make sure to not ever ask questions like, "How have you been?" You don't. So instead, to make the email sound nice, uh, you say "Happy Wednesday" or something happy like "Wednesday." Yeah. Or hope things are going well. Happy Friday. Hope you got. Hope you got rid of that itch. But just something that. <laughs> just something itch. that is. What is, is, is just a, <laughs> what is that? I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, keep going um, though, because I feel like it's it's so that the so rabbit how, hole. How have you been? Um, it's, it's it's not a sincere inquiry. You don't really do it. It's a nicety that we do when we're in when we're across from somebody or when we're talking to somebody. You want to engage them at that level. Like, hey, how have you been? When it's email and you're especially when you're working um, towards getting something done, it, it, it just isn't efficient to pretend that you care how they feel at that moment because they might you not might not read the email for twelve hours, um, and then. Um, what about your one subject rule with email? It's like yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Never so, mix subjects in an email. Um, well, it, it's all. Let me. I'll also just say, um, yeah, to not mix topics. A lot of times, people say they list a different this topic, and they want you to answer this question, and then they totally change the subject to something completely different. And so, what'll happen is somebody will answer. The, the receiver will will answer one of the questions and kind of tag it to respond to <clears throat> to respond to later. Odds are that since they've already sent it, it's not going to get answered in, in any sort of a timely. It probably falls off their list of things to and do. And then you can't find the email. And, and then you can't find the email. So this happened to me yesterday. Uh, Jose, who works with us, asked for a request. I asked a vendor to fix something with something with our phone system. The vendor responded to a different email and I wrote done to Jose. And he was like, what's done? What are you talking about? And then I had to spend 20 minutes trying to find the root email. So sticking to one subject and then keeping everything on that same email chain is important for organization. 
you have a subject line. You have one subject line that corresponds exactly to what's inside the content. And that's so much easier. And how hard is it to write two emails? I mean, I'm not an advocate of sending too many emails. As a matter of fact, that's one of the tricks that I would tell everybody. Um, send as few emails as you possibly can. So that, that means consolidating information or, um, or just not actually ever sending the email because it's just not important enough. Remember, it is about respecting people's time. And if you look at it, it's just, it's the golden rule. Treat them like you want to be treated. And a, a quick one, when someone writes back a quick email that says, thank you, it's so frustrating because my email list at the end of any day, I will have somewhere in the neighborhood of four to 10 in my inbox. That's it. Some of those are projects that I'm working on. And some of those are just the ones that I haven't been able to get to. And, and that's okay. They probably came in at the end of the day or whatever. Um, but having that sort of discipline, making sure that you, there's a relationship, the fewer emails you send, the fewer emails you receive. That's such a good point. If you're trying to control your day because email is omnipresent, then you have to control the inputs. And the best way to do that in, in the case of email is controlling the output as much as you possibly can. This is Bootstrappers, and I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, president of Anaquim, and I'm here with my spouse, Jeremy Aspen, president of Wistar Group Property Management. And if you're watching on YouTube today, you can see that we're not in our typical studio, and it's because we're at our place in Michigan, and we're going to be here for a little bit, Uh, but we're having fun broadcasting from here, and we're going to just dig right back into the topic that we were discussing before. And I just have a quick, some quick questions for you, Jeremy. One is, cause I need this help myself, but if you have a lot, so you say you had like 10 emails tops and you're not even 10, you said four, four emails in your At, at the end inbox? of the day, I'll have four to 10. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's say someone sent you this long article that you just have to read about business. Where do you put that? If somebody sends me an email, that uh, uh, an article, I'll mm-hmm. open the article and I'll leave it in my browser. I'll close out the email. And if I don't get to it by the end of the day, I'll save it in a to-do later. If it's important enough to read. If it's not, and it's just one of those things like I'm going to fill my time with, um, I just I just admit to myself that I'm probably not going to get to it. If I didn't, so you're good at, you don't feel, so this is where I get, I get caught up. Do not feel bad. I am a people pleaser at my core and I want, and I'm optimistic. I think at some point I'm going to read that article, even if I'm not interested in it. And then it lives in my inbox forever. And as, and it just causes me shame to be honest, because I know so, I never got around to it. That's there, but, literally my, my mindset. I'm being totally honest right now. Totally get it. But <laughs> my rule of thumb is like, if I'm going to spend time to read an article, most likely it's going to be an article that I come across through, you know, I'm a, we subscribe to like 15 different journals or 15 different magazines. I, that and, makes and us what, sound old, by the way. You, you just well, made us sound like we're an 80-year-old couple they're all with online. like catalogs all over the coffee table. But No, well, we have some, uh, <laughs> but we have a lot of those. And so I curate the information I'm going to read based on what my interests are and what I pay for. That's another thing. I pay for my articles, my journal. Um, now, I, that's not to say that I would um, make it so that nobody else's information or someone else's idea of what might be a good read is worth it worth reading or not or worth reading, but it is to say that the bar is pretty high. I've got my, I'm a reader. I read and I don't know that I'm going to get to someone else's article unless it really interests me. And if it okay. Really interests so let's me, say, let's say it's not going to reach the level. You're not going to read it. Do you just write back? Thanks for what's your quick email back. Thanks for the information. I'm, I can't wait to read this. And then you Generally, just delete it. I, I always look for a reason not to write back and say, thank you. You don't because, even say thank you for that? You don't no, feel rude? Unless it was colloquial, it was friendly enough, and it was just you know a good friend of yours that thought of you. And then I'll thank them for, thank, uh, thank them for, for thinking of me. 
and that sort of stuff, but not necessarily for the article, just because they don't care if I, if it's one of those things like, Hey, it's an article I read. Okay, great. Um, moving on. And then if I get a chance to read it and I do read it, I'll write back to him later and say, I read the article. That was a fun read. Okay. So if you, any email that comes in, if it takes two minutes or less, you yeah. just do it right then. Yeah. So one of the precursors to that is that you have to check your email a limited number of times a day. So when I was trained, it was two. Eh, I didn't find that to be very realistic. So I do about four times a day. I'll check How long in. do you spend on those uh, in those increments? Well, you have to set time aside. So it might be a half hour increment or it might be an hour increment. In the mornings, I do the longer. I do about an hour just because there's stuff that's built up. I have to clean the inbox, all that stuff. <clears throat> and then later in the day, I'll probably kind of try to stick to more of a half hour um, of things to uh, reading and keeping up on my email. But if when you're doing that, if you're, you're reading an email and it is going to take you fewer than two or three minutes to do, just do it. Don't mark it as something you're going to do later. Just get it done and out of your inbox, which is also an important part. If you have an inbox, make sure your inbox is a list of the things you have still to do, not a long list of your history of emails that you need to scroll through to find the ones that are bolded or tagged. Get them off your inbox so your inbox can look nice and clean. Okay, so let's say something's going to take you more than two to four minutes to complete. Where does it go? It stays in the inbox. That's the holding reservoir. Okay. No, 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 no. If it's if it's something like a longer thing that is going to take you to do, where does it go? Like, where is your to do list? Oh, so oh. Move okay. it to the so to do list. If it qualifies as something to that I have to do then I have a, a, a software, it's called 90.io. And that's where I keep my tasks. And that's the- Google has thing. a tasks function too, Google but you just commit to Outlook. one. Ta do you have other one. places where you keep tasks? One place where what I What about tasks. personal tasks? Do they go in the same thing? Same thing. Unless you and I have a grocery list, you know, I'll put okay, it on- Okay, so you have a grocery list, but all tasks go on the same task, personal or professional. Yep. Does that get out of control? Nope. How come? <laughs> How I just do, you do it. Do this? You just have to get the work done. Oh, and because you're going to do it anyway. And the way that you can identify whether or not you're saturated with work is if you have too many things on your list. And that's when I start to get stressed out because that's a measurable way of identifying that you're screwed. Like your next week is going to be rough. And so then you just buckle down and do it. Or we're in a position where we can delegate some of the work because we have employees. And so you delegate the work just to help get it off your, your list. Okay. So let's talk about instant messages, text messages, uh, Facebook messages, LinkedIn messages. Okay. How so do you business, handle all of the other things that so people this is a very your important, time? This is a very important tool. If you're listening on the radio, you can't see that I have my phone with a picture of my daughters on it up in the camera, but this is a very important tool for business, not me. I do not use my phone for work at all, almost ever. If people want to get a hold of me regarding work, they call the office and it gets routed to my phone. It actually uh, gets routed to your email. If it's a voicemail, yeah, it gets Because most there. people aren't going to get a hold of you live. But if the receptionist ends up... Um, call uh taking the call you know they'll try to get a hold of me and whatnot but so getting through to me for work is done through my work number i i will do this um at the end of the day i'll okay, work on so, all my personal stuff on my cell phone but this so is so you're personal. saying that okay so you're you're saying that your cell phone is per, only private yeah, and, and you do not use it for business because a lot of people route their business well and that's calls one of those to their things. cell phone. So that's why I was a little bit confused. But Everybody, you're saying that no one has your personal cell phone number. I don't give my personal cell phone number out to clients, tenants, um, people whose businesses I'm buying, nothing. Like, I just don't do it because, um, well, I mean, we're all experiencing an over uh, kill on information. Well, if you're not in order to control your day, you have to control the way the information, the information makes it to your brain and in a way that you can structure an answer. 
And if so, you're letting your cell phone, like the, the thing about text messages and instant messaging and even phone calls to your cell phone is that they can interrupt you doing whatever you're doing. And if you're being interrupted, then the objective of your day is being interrupted and it necessarily prolongs the attainment of that objective. So, so this brings me to my next point about why I'm fascinated by the way you work. So because you don't allow, like someone will instant message Jeremy and he's good at saying your emergency, what is that? Your urgency is not my emergency. Like yeah, I'm not going to stop what I'm working on because you're having an issue. You're, and he has faith that they will figure it out without him. And he has major boundaries that in that respect, in which case I, I have zero boundaries. Like I, I'm really bad at that. So he actually gets his projects done because you, you have the ability to manage your attention where whoever's the squeakiest wheel or the loudest or the most obnoxious manages my attention. And this is what I'm working on. This is why we're talking about it because I'm really attempting to get better at this. But that's why you finish your projects in a timely fashion because at the, tell us at the beginning of the day, how do you organize your workday? So real quick, my name is Jeremy Aspen, president of Wistar Group uh, with Gwen Aspen, president of Anaquim. And we're having a discussion amongst each other, co-hosts of Bootstrappers, a show designed for uh, business owners, uh, wannabes, business one, business owner wannabes, and um, just entrepreneurs, generally speaking, to help uh, get you information that might help make your business a little bit better. So, um, so what was that? The te- oh, the discipline? Is that what you said? Well, yeah. How do you decide at the beginning of the day what you're going to be doing? Like, how do you organize your business oh. day? task list. I have a task list and then I prioritize. Now, so actually what I do is I grab my journal and I'll write in the things that I think I want to accomplish that over the day. Like, so what I was thinking about when I woke up in the morning, um, I, I try to make a note there. Maybe I'll have an idea that I want to expand upon work on, and then I'll take it into my, uh, my digital environment and make sure that there's not something I'd forgotten about you know, in, when I was just dealing with my book and see if something needs to usurp needs to be prioritized over and above this list. Um, and then I'll write the list out and write it out. I actually write it out a lot of times about which ones I want to make sure I get done. And then I get them done. I just keep that at my uh, beck and call right there. Arms reach all day long. I will say that you've been able to do that and focus so intensely on your projects, which are, for people who don't know Jeremy or work with him on a regular basis, he's like our IT genius. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he's like the one who scripts and makes all the software work and makes the invoicing automatic and he automates everything. Yeah, he, it's unbelievable. Yeah, he's our he's our as an engineer on our systems and software. Uh, and so since he's gotten himself out of the operational tasks, I do think it's easier for you to to hunker down and do your projects uh then maybe somebody yeah. who's stuck in the operation is just untenable to think that you wouldn't make somebody else's emergency you know your priority um, uh, but so you've look, done that though through processes and procedures and handing everything off that you don't really like doing yeah i mean there is one thing i'm really bad at which is managing a calendar which actually i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you about here in a little bit but um a couple little things that I can think about for email just to kind of get that um, wrapped up. Um, don't you write in more of a colloquial way when you write pedantically or you write in such a way that sounds legalistic. It it's one, it's harder to understand in a real way. It, it's harder to understand. I am in communication with such and such than it is to just hear and say, um, I, I'm talking to, or yeah, I've spoken with uh, the, and, to, to, to expand on it, to add where the preterites or whatever they're in the, I went, to, I don't know, but to make the word in, to make the thought longer than it has to be, it just adds to making a message, uh, more staticky. It's not maybe something don't you write long understand. emails ever that well, I the did TLDR, hear DR. Yeah. So tell them what TLDR means. Too long, didn't read. And I do that. 
If it, too if I, long, didn't read. So if I get a long email from an employee or even, even I've said it to clients too, I'm sorry, this is just too long and I'm not going to read that because if it, the idea, if it's not something that's more coherent, more, if it's not something that you can uh, winnow away to just a basic concept, then it should then be you're a trying meeting. to theorize and yeah, there it's just not. It should your, be a, it should be a meeting over the phone or in webcam or yeah, emails in person, right I guess. Place. But right. don't nobody should send a long email. Nobody reads it. And I hate when people get mad at you for not reading it. I used to have an employee all the time. She'd be like, You didn't read my whole email. I'm like, I nobody reads. And even the editor I have that edits a lot of the things that I write, she's like, Nobody actually reads everything that you write. And I think we all just need to come to terms with that. Absolutely. And if you so keep it short, keep it to one topic and don't try to use giant words and confusing language in an email. Just write directly. We are in agreement. Makes the mind to make one extra step to understand what it is you're saying when all you really had to do is say, we agree. That's it. And that, as weird as that sounds, as, as silly as that might seem, um, communication is a very important part of what we do. I mean, we are a social animal and we're cued to pick up on, um, the understanding of, you know, what someone else is trying to understand. If you put up fake barriers, like, like we're in communication, it just, it just adds a, a, a cognitive step. Um, and then choppiness, like sometimes I'll see people write emails that say, we are aware of the situation period. We thought this might not be the right thing to do, period. Have you thought about doing this, period? That's three sentences when, and, it, and it's choppy and it kind of sounds like you're trying to be legalistic. Um, it's off-putting regardless and it doesn't, it doesn't help. Communication is supposed to help bring you together. Um, and when you write like that, it just pushes, it just makes it so that you're not, it doesn't push them away, but it makes it so you're not uh, I don't know, on the same channel. This is Bootstrappers, and I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, president of Anaquim, and I'm here with my spouse, Jeremy Aspen, president of Wistar Group Property Management in Omaha, Nebraska. We are, yeah, we are recording here in Michigan, and today's topic is how to organize your time. So, Jeremy, go. We're talking to Jeremy today about how he organizes his time because he, he is like better than anybody else I know. That at, you know. That I well, of know. Of course, I keep you in the basement. Oh, I don't right. let you get out very far. Yeah. <laughs> he's so good at focusing, which is really, which is funny because he's actually ADD, but very good at focusing. <laughs> well, that's, focusing. What you gotta, that's what you have to get over. I mean, honest to God, that ADD thing has been, like you had mentioned earlier, at least alluded to, the best thing that ever happened to me because I could, I had to make things efficient or bombed. Yeah, that's so true. Or you were going to be homeless if you didn't figure it out. <laughs> that, that was, uh... <laughs> Sorry, we have a dark sense of humor. But no, I want to get to something because Jeremy mentioned before earlier in the program that he's able to, he's gotten away from operational tasks in both businesses, really. So we, he works at Anaquim as this uh, chief operating officer, and he's president at Wistar Group. And he doesn't really deal with operational tasks. He's more our resident engineer. He does software design, that kind of thing. But he's only been able to do it because he's good at managing his time. And one of the things that happens a lot to me, because I would say I'm working on this currently, because I'm terrible at it, at organizing my time, is he doesn't allow employees to come up and say, hey, got a second? Hey, I need you to do this project for me and then dump a bunch of their projects onto him. So Jeremy, can you tell us more how you're able to prevent employees or subordinates from dumping their projects onto you and making them your project? Roll your eyes at him and tell him to get out. No, that's no, kind of nice the question. <laughs> no, nice way. It, it, so the the way to the way that best explains it is who's got the monkey. That is, I don't know. It's a 1970s era article from the Harvard Business Review that explains everything through 
a monkey, how to how to feed a monkey. Anyway, it's who's got the monkey and the so, premise. The, I was just going to say that the monkey, the monkey is the project in right. this article. And so go ahead. So the idea behind it is um, to imagine that somebody's idea is a monkey. And so somebody comes into your office and says, hey, I've got this idea slash monkey. And they tell you about it and what it can do and how pretty it is and, and how it's going to make more money. And which is all great. But oftentimes then what happens is they leave the room having dumped the idea um, on or the you, monkey, the monkey on you. And they've they've left the monkey without any nourishment. Like So I've not taken the monkey and put it on my shoulder. I've not taken the idea and taken it on for myself. They have in their mind passed it on. But so this monkey is in the middle and no one's there to feed it, nourish it, love it, treat it like it respects, or like it deserves to be treated. Um, and so the what you have to do, what, what works is making sure that one, like in aviation, I'm a pilot, we have a positive handoff and it's, I've got, the, uh, you've got the plane. Okay, I've got the plane. Okay, you've got the plane. So it's just three ways of acknowledging that I'm giving you the plane. Ah, okay, I'm taking the plane. Okay. Uh, you've got the plan. So, so let's take this down to like a real life scenario. Let's say we have an employee come and do the, Hey, got a second. And I'm going to be an employee in this and I'm coming to you as my manager. Hey, Jeremy. So our website is awesome, but you know, nobody's really looking at the website during the day based on the Google analytics. And I think that we need a chat widget to respond to prospects as soon as possible, as soon as they're on, on the website. And so, um, you know, I'm really busy with all my projects, but I was just wondering, I mean, what do you think about my idea? So we're going to role play the way it works. Like well, the way well, it you should can, work. We can talk okay. about it, but like that's a real life scenario. And so, so basically I'm trying to ask you to get a widget find the widget, figure out the new processes okay. and procedures for the widget. Like how so do you handle a, that? Yeah. A couple of things. One, it's like, Hey, good looking. Glad you're, <laughs> no, you uh, can't do that. You can't this do is that. Work. Okay. Can't do that. Right. Not, stay um, on topic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, one, I, I think you have to make sure that they understand that we have this entire infrastructure for ideas. Um, which is in our case, level 10 meetings or the traction system. And that's a that's a really appropriate place to do it. Now, you can't really just turn somebody uh, around and say, hey, get out of my office. This isn't you know the right place for it necessarily. You can still have an idea and go back and forth, uh, which is actually one of the ways that I get to be most creative when I when I'm chatting and going back and forth with people. But um, so what I'll do in this case is you've come up to me and you've given me this great idea. I'll probably turn it back on you and say, okay, well, get, what are the next steps then? So what that'll end up doing is making sure that you understand that I have not taken this on myself. That monkey is still sitting on your shoulder and it gives you an opportunity to, well, and you're kind of forced into acknowledging that this is your idea and it's something you'd like to move forward with. And I've just given you permission to move forward with it if that's what you needed. So it's the biggest thing there is the danger is this. Let's say I don't put that back on you. What you're going to end up doing is making the assumption that you've given me this idea. And then when I don't ever do anything with it, you're just going to assume that I'm kind of a lazier. I don't actually ever get anything done. Uh, and even though I never acknowledged or I never took the responsibility on for myself, you're still left with the idea that, that you have handed this on. So you have to have that positive handoff. I also think it creates an environment in a uh, workplace where people feel undervalued. If they don't yeah. have the the methodology to run with an idea, that is a good idea. I mean, we should have a chat widget on our website. That would be awesome. And if it were manned 24 hours a day, even better. I mean, it's a fantastic idea. But if um, they're expecting us as managers to to research the different widgets, to come up with the processes and procedures and implement this. Um, 
and we don't do it. We don't tell them how to get this idea through to fruition. They actually become disgruntled workers and they think we don't care about them. Their ideas are not valuable and nothing changes at this organization. And then they stop bringing up their ideas. So it's really important that as managers, we get this process right. And I love how you say that you respond with a question. So what is the next step? So that they know it's their responsibility to move it forward. And that, I mean, I think that that question like, hey, I totally support this, you know, go research them, come back with different options, but go for it is the best way to approach when someone comes to you with a good idea. Well, and then of course there's the empowerment piece. They, they are empowered to take their career wherever they want. And the best way to do that is to have all these accomplishments. And especially when you take ideas and you turn that into action, I mean, as a business owner, isn't maybe that the best thing you ever see? Like we had that recently at Anaquim where, um, you know, during COVID we developed, two, at least two, almost three new products. And it's because our staff, when the idea came up, took it upon themselves and just built it. And, you know, months later, within a couple of months, we were invoicing for a new product and had uh, about a dozen new clients. So here's the, here's where it goes wrong though. So there's always a shiny object problem like, oh, we need a widget. Okay, sure. It's a great idea. But is that a priority this quarter? Yes or no? And how much time is this going to take? So that's where the strategic quarterly planning comes in. Where I And I like that aspect of it. We generally, unless it's a pandemic, we don't pivot or change our quarterly goals throughout a quarter. It's 90 days. We had a long meeting in each department at the beginning of the quarter. We did that this uh, very recently. Uh, we, we have long meetings for each department. We strategically look at what our annual goals are, remind ourselves what the goals are for the year, and then we create the projects based on the long-term initiatives so that we don't lose focus of what's important. So in this case, if someone came up in the middle of a quarter with this idea, I would say, ooh, I don't know. I mean, how are you doing on your rocks? Or rocks are what we call quarterly goals. And then I would put it in the long-term issues to possibly be addressed next quarter. So I think the act of putting it somewhere in a way that you can see it again in an organized fashion so they could see it moving forward is a good way to organize uh, ideas into the annual strategy. Yeah. And I'll say, so while years ago we read the article, Who's Got the Monkey?, um, it's kind of, I mean, and it's all accurate. It's an article you've got to read. Just look it up. I think it nowadays it's no, you can, free. you can get it for free. If you just Google who's yeah. got the monkey Harvard business review. Yeah. Um, and traction or, or the infrastructure that is traction has become the embodiment, uh, the real application of who's got the monkey because you have an idea, you put it somewhere, and in the meetings every week, you review to see, to, to hold people accountable. So it's really kind of like traction. That meeting structure is kind of like a cage. A and just so our listeners know, we should probably. So Traction is a book by Gino Wickman that is after the Bible, our next favorite book, uh, because... Yeah. Because it has organized our companies in a way that they were not organized before. And so for $14 or however much the book is, um, I mean, I, I can't even tell you how this has impacted our life, our businesses, and you know the financial success of them. So, and, so just uh, getting back to what that is. But Jeremy, so the book Traction outlines how you have your meetings and how you hold people accountable at the meetings. And when you have this methodology, this operational structure, this cadence, then people's ideas get heard within the meeting structure, get, if they're good ideas, they make it through so that they become a goal in a specific quarter if they're in line with the company's annual objectives. So to put it in a Yeah, and uh, you're listening to Bootstrappers on Coil 1290 Radio and on our podcast, The uh, Bootstrappers Show. I'm Jeremy Aspen, and this is Gwen Aspen, and we're having a conversation about 
the efficient about how to use your time most efficiently. I had to throw that in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the really, if your company is not using traction, and even if you don't own the company, and, and this is important, take it as a monkey that you heard it on a radio show, take it to your boss and see about implementing it. I mean, we've gone to some companies around the country, huge companies, huge software companies that weren't using traction, and they began using it. And so it's not like it's something everybody's doing nowadays. It's very popular because it's working, but be that idea, take that idea into your boss and put that on, take that monkey on for yourself and feed it all the way until it's a big old adult that's, you know, had all the babies. <laughs> okay. So I, I want to go back to the fact that you have managed to get out of the operations of two businesses because it's, it's quite the feat. Most people who own businesses struggle to get out of the operations. So can you go back to your philosophy? So, well, let me go back to a story. We, we were both talking to a, a friend of ours who owns a company and he merged with another company. And this new uh, colleague of his or business co-owner with, uh, of his was working like 14 hours a day and could not get out of the rat race or off the hamster wheel. And so they called us to see, you know, if we had any advice for him. And Jeremy, you, you told him processes and procedures. He's like, how am I going to write processes and procedures down when I'm working 12 to 14 hours a day? And then you gave a great example of how you can save time over time. Can you just talk through what you would tell an entrepreneur who can't get off the hamster wheel, who's working 12 to 14 hours a day, how to get processes and procedures to be the answer to get them off the hamster wheel. Yeah. So you better make sure that you, they can at least acknowledge the fact that their probably best use of their time is not running around on a hamster wheel. I could caveat <laughs> that with some business owners are better running around on a, on a, on a hamster wheel and hiring a visionary. That does happen, uh, and it should be, you know, left open as a possibility. But generally speaking, um, the person that's starting the company, the entrepreneur, is going to end up being the a visionary, and visionaries are probably less likely to be detail oriented. And if you're doing the day to day work, then that means you're necessarily making mistakes and making up for them later. This is Bootstrappers. I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, and I'm here with Jeremy Aspen, president of Wistar Group Property Management Company. And right now we are talking about how entrepreneurs get off the hamster wheel of working 15 hours a day uh, with no family time, no personal time, and they're getting burnt out. So, Jeremy, what would your recommendations be towards a entrepreneur in this situation? So, especially the smaller outfits that are just starting out, where the entrepreneur is really the entire corp the the entire company. the The goal is to grow, and in order to do that, you're going to have to do things that make your day better. That can be a couple of things. Um, one of those things is just automating systems, making sure that you never have to or anybody ever has to touch them again. Two is to get your um, what it is that you're doing written written down as a policy, a process, or a procedure. We can get into a topic about the difference between those three things, but there are three distinct things. Um, so, for example, the way I went about it is I would I would prioritize. Well, one, I have, you have to make sure that that's something you want to do. You want to grow. You want to be a bigger company. You need you need to get these things off of your plate. So. Um, one, acknowledge. Two, prioritize the things that you think will make the company better, the thing, the, you, where you f believe the efficiencies can best be derived. So let's just take a fake list of you want to make your um, office paperless. Uh, you want to make it so that your invoicing is automated and you think that um, you answer the same questions too often. Fine. So the easiest of those, I would say, is probably you're answering uh, the same questions over and over again. So why don't you write down a list of those questions and then the answers to those questions and hand those off to your employees so that whoever's answering the phone can answer those questions for you. 
So let's say that saves you one hour a day or one hour a week. That means that you've just saved yourself 52 hours a year. Now, because you're a business owner, you're still going to work your derriere off. There's just no <laughs> way around it. So the next step is to find what was um, the next least complicated or the next complicated, most complicated one. And I would say probably invoicing is that. Um, so so you, you develop your processes, you develop your procedures, and you, you dial it in. You use those 52 hours you just saved to build a super nice procedure and then give it to somebody. Let's say that saves you 10 hours a week. Okay, now, when it probably could, now you're saving some real time. And now those 10 hours a week can go into doing, making your operation more efficient. And in that case, you attack the biggest project of all, which is probably make, you know, making your office paperless. Because now you've got 500 and what? 562, I don't know, 600 hours of your month that you or of your year that you've just gotten back. And that's the way that you tick away at being a small operator and turning yourself into an efficient streamlined machine. So, wow, that, that is so helpful, I think, to a lot of people out there because you just get overwhelmed and you just don't even know what the next step is. We went through that, but if you Oof. just... If you just chip away at the easiest thing first, and you were saying it's, uh, in a break that it was, it's kind of like Dave Ramsey. Can you explain that? An- yeah, Dave Ramsey analogy? always, um, he always said that, um, you know, you have these small loans, right? And say you have three loans, same thing I just mentioned. You have three loans. One of them is for $1,000, another one is $10,000, another one is $20,000. The way you do it is you take all that extra money that you're working for, you, that you earn or that you saved somewhere else and you, you, you apply it to that small loan, pay that loan down first. And now you've got an extra $100 a month. Take that entire $100 or in my analogy, all the energy you know, that you've saved from making it something more efficient and apply it to the next loan or the next project, as it were. The next and biggest the, one. And the then leave one. your giant one for last because you can get all this momentum by taking away at some of the smaller projects. Not yeah, too small com- where they don't move your business forward, but some of the It is easier- compounding. It, it, yes. it, is, it works exactly the same way as compound interest. And especially in our industry, we know that compound interest can work against you or it can work for you. And if you're going to run a successful company, you better have both compound interest working for you and the compounding effects of efficiencies. Well, we are so happy for our listeners and those watching on YouTube. Thank you for watching Bootstrappers. For more on Bootstrappers, go to our website, anaquim.net. And with that, thanks for watching. And listening.